Uh, we're going to be continuing in our series that uh, it's going along with our ABFs. When the game's over, it all goes back in the box. And this is week four. We're talking about the message calling or comfort. And I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. And if you uh, don't have a Bible with you this morning, there are some uh, under the seats around you, and you can grab one of those and use as well. But I'm going to read this for us as we begin. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. A good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. I'm going to stop there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is powerful. The words that Jesus spoke to this young man, he speaks to us. It's a call to follow you. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear what you have to say to us today, that we would take heart of our relationship with you and where we stand. And Father, I pray that you would continue to do your work in our heart to make us more and more like Christ in our attitudes, in our thoughts, in our actions, to love you with all our heart. We pray that in his name. Amen. In the book that goes along with this series, John Ortberg asks the question, what is the most dangerous item in your house? What's the most dangerous item in your house? And you might think about, you know, different options on that. I mean, is it something like an appliance, like the stove that gets hot that can be a danger to children? Is it your water heater that if it malfunctions could blow up, you know? Or is it those power tools that you maybe have in the garage or in your workshop? Or is it, you know, kitchen knives or cutlery, and you know, things that you have around the kitchen? Or could it be that the most dangerous item in your house is this? An easy chair. All right? You know, and if you're going to be in the ABFs this morning, you're going to actually see John Ortberg sitting in one of those as he's preaching today. And uh, it's kind of a humorous look. Could it be that this particular chair is what is keeping you from maybe doing what God wants you to do? Because you get settled into one of those lazy boys, you know, just the name itself should tell you something about it. But you get a guy in there with his remote control for the TV and a beverage, a snack, something like that, you know, and he's good. He's good for the game or he's good for the, the day on what he wants to do. And could it be that our desire for personal comfort is keeping us from doing what God wants us to do? That's the question that we want to think about. What is God calling us to do? And are we letting our personal comfort stand in the way of being obedient to what God asks of each of us? We were made for more than life in a chair. Now, there's a guy who really took that to heart, and his name is Larry Walker. 
And Larry lives out in the Los Angeles area, and he was a guy who always wanted to fly, but his vision, his eyesight was too poor for him to be able to be a pilot and get his license. So he had this wonderful idea that he was going to try out one day. He, he thought, well, what if I take my lawn chair and I attach some helium balloons to it? True story. The guy came and he attached 45 helium weather balloons to his lawn chair. And then he strapped himself into the chair and he had his, you know, uh, air rifle or, you know, pellet gun with him. Uh, that was the way he was going to get back down. He brought some sandwiches and a six-pack of beer, which probably tells you a little bit about Larry. Uh, and he's, he's going to sit in his chair. And his plan was that his friends were going to cut the cord. He'd float around at about 30 feet, and then when he got tired, he'd just come back down. Well, 45 weather balloons do not take you to 30 feet. When those guys cut the cord and he lifted off, he didn't stop at 100 feet or 1,000 feet, but he stopped climbing at about 16,000 feet. John Orberg was saying, he was telling this story uh, to a group of people one day, and there was a Delta pilot that was part of the congregation that morning, and he said, yeah, I was flying in that day to LAX airport, you know, this guy's starting to drift in his lawn chair and weather balloons into the airspace, and he said, every communique to the radio tower that day began with, you're not going to believe this, but... Well, Larry was a little bit terrified to start shooting those balloons, but he had no other choice if he was going to get back down. And so uh, he began to pop the balloons, and he actually made it down. He got tangled up in some high-line wires where he had to be rescued by the police and the fire department. And when he was taken away in handcuffs for violating the FAA airspace and all of that, you know, the reporter asked him, why did you do it? I mean, what were you thinking? And he said, well, a man can't just sit there. He's got to do something. And here's Larry. That probably wasn't the brightest idea, obviously, what he was trying to do. But there was a truth there that we were not made to just sit. We were made to have challenge, to have risk, to have adventure in our life. But how? And what is it that God wants us to do? Today we're going to talk about God's calling on our life, and we're going to look at this passage in Mark chapter 10 as we think about that. And the first thing that I see in this passage is that God's call on our life is not easy or comfortable. God's call is not easy or comfortable. When God calls us to follow him, you know, the easy part of it is that salvation is a gift from the Lord. There's nothing we need to do to earn our salvation. Jesus has accomplished all of that. But when Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to deny ourselves. He calls us to die to self, to lay down our ambitions, our dreams, to give him our whole life. And the, this rich young man came to Jesus because he had a question. And his question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a very good question. I mean, I wish more people in our world were thinking about that. We're really wrestling with that question. What is it that, that will allow us to live for eternity with Jesus? What is it that's going to bring about that change in our heart that will forever change our eternal state, where we're going to live? It's a very good question to ask. 
And this man, we read, had tried to follow everything that he had been taught. He had kept the commandments as best as he could. He thought he was doing it. And he was, in a sense, earning this relationship with God. But still, there's a nagging at his heart. There must have been something there that's causing him to come to Jesus that even though he's done all of these good things, there's still an emptiness inside. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at this young man and he loved him. He had a love for him. I mean, I think if we had known this young man, we probably would have liked him too. He was probably a a very good person, the kind of person you'd like to be a friend or a neighbor or someone that you would know, but there was something lacking in his life. And Jesus put his finger on that very thing. He identified the one thing that was holding him back and it was his possessions. He cared more about his stuff than about his relationship with God or anything else. And so Jesus told him to go and sell everything that he owned. Give it to the poor and then come and follow me. It was a call to total surrender. To put it in the context of what we've been talking about in this series, this rich young man needed to resign as master of the board. He needed to give it all to Jesus. When we think about that commandment, I know many times the first question that comes to our mind is, well, does God ask us the same thing? Is he asking all of us to go sell everything that we have, give it to the poor, and then come follow him? And no, he doesn't give that command to everyone. We see in the New Testament that there were uh, those who supported Jesus in his ministry who had uh, the means to do that, and they supported Jesus as he traveled about. Uh, Later in the New Testament, you see people uh, like Lydia, uh, who was a businesswoman who opened her home to have a church meet in her home, and she helped to support Paul in his work. There were others like uh, Priscilla and Aquila who also opened their home to ministry and who, again, were involved out of their business in the work that they did to support the work of ministry. God doesn't call everyone to sell everything and give it to him. But he does call all of us to place everything that we have at his disposal. Everything we have at his disposal. Our life, our time, our skills, our abilities, our treasure, our resources, it's his. It's not ours, it's his. He has given it to us for a time while we are on this earth to use for his glory. And so there is a very real sense in which every you know, dollar that comes through our hands, all the things that we've been given, Lord, how do you want me to use this? How do you want me to spend this? What do you want me to do with my day today? Lord, here I am, and I want to follow you. That is that call to surrender, to deny ourselves and to trust Him. And what we find is that God's call is usually to something bigger than we think we can do. Can you imagine how Noah felt, for example, when God said to Noah, I want you to build an ark and I want you to get two of every animal, you know, and bring them into the ark. And Noah's going, you know, this is huge, Lord. I mean, this blueprint you gave me to build this ark, this isn't some small little boat. This is massive. And then to endure the ridicule of building that when neighbors and people around him think that he's some crazy old fool doing this because, you know, there's never been a flood. There's never been a rain like what is going to come upon the earth. 
And Noah had to trust God in obedience to do that work. Or you can think of Moses who was called to go and confront Pharaoh and Moses going, who am I? You know, I'm a shepherd here out in the hills of Midian. You want me to go to Pharaoh and say, let your people go? Or David taking on Goliath or even the disciples when Jesus said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. For all of those individuals, God's call was to something bigger than they thought they could do themselves. And so secondly, our initial response to God's call is often one of fear or doubt or questions. So if you've heard God call, you know, in your life to do something and your response was one of, I'm not sure I can do that, or God, are you sure about this? You're in good company. Because we see that in the Scripture in many places. When God called Moses to go to Pharaoh, Moses said, I can't go. I am slow of speech and tongue. God, I don't, I don't speak so well. He, he was a stutterer. He struggled with that. And he said, besides that, you know, don't you know I'm wanted for murder in Egypt? I mean, that's why he left in the first place. When God called Gideon to deliver Israel from the Midianites, Gideon, this uh, young man, was hiding in a wine press behind the wall of the wine press beating out a little bit of grain to have some meal because he was in fear of the Midianites who kept raiding their territory and destroying their crops and the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon while he's there crouching down and says hail mighty warrior <laughs> you know and Gideon's like you talking to me who who me and he replied to the angel of the Lord and said, My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. Why are you asking me to do this? And God said, Go. And when God called Esther, it was through her cousin Mordecai. And Mordecai said, Esther, perhaps this is why you have come to such a position. That your people are threatened with extermination. And here is the opportunity for you to go to the king and to make a request on behalf of your people. And Esther's response was that everyone knows that to go to the king unsummoned means death. I mean, if I go and he doesn't extend his scepter to me, that's it. How can I go and cause anything to happen? It's only by the power of God. And I'm sure that this rich young man was thinking in his mind, Jesus, are you sure about this? You want me to sell everything? Couldn't it just be, you know, one thing or a little thing or something like that? You want me to sell it all. God's call is usually bigger than what we think we can do. And Jesus knows how hard it is for us to answer that call. In particular, if you are a person who has great wealth. And that really includes, in America, all of us. You know, and so here we read as we continue this story in verse 22 that at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. The disciples heard Jesus' teaching about salvation, about surrender, and describing it as a work of God. That if we're still holding on to our stuff, you know, and we're trying to be the master of the board and keep it all together and think that we can control everything in our life, we haven't come to that point where we have a relationship with Him that's going to grow and that will last for eternity. We need to surrender, humble ourselves before the Lord. And even that act of surrender and humility is a work of God's grace that changes our heart. When he opens our eyes to see Jesus and we understand that he is Lord of all and we humble ourselves before him, God can make that happen. All things are possible with God. You know, a few years ago, I went to Colorado on a backpacking trip with Pastors on Point. It's a ministry that is really, it's a fun trip. It's, uh, you meet with a kind of a spiritual counselor or a guy who's done this a lot. And, and really, the main part of the trip is to help you identify your sweet spot in ministry as he uses some of the tools to help assess your strengths and gifts. And, you know, are you really functioning where, um, you know, God has designed you to work? And are you doing what he's called you to do? And it was a great encouragement to do that. But they also take us out into the wilderness, if you will, or out on a trip like this to stretch us. And so they had us do some things that we don't normally do, you know, like the rock climbing and the rappelling and the whitewater rafting and all of those things that are a lot of fun but get you out of your comfort zone. They are stretching experiences, and we need that. We need that in our life spiritually. A guy can't just sit in a chair. We need to get up and do something. And if you aren't being stretched at all, maybe you've been sitting in your easy chair too long. You see, there are opportunities all around us for us to serve. It may be to get involved in working with our children or our student ministry. Maybe it's being a part of what's happening after school here. Maybe it's being part of a on Wednesday night. Maybe it's leading a small group for adults. Maybe it's understanding how you could share your faith with a coworker or a neighbor, a friend, where maybe you don't feel like you've been trained in that yet and you'd really like to grow in the area of evangelism and being able to share the gospel more effectively. Maybe it's to go on a mission trip, to go out of the country to another culture where you are going to be stretched, where your comfort zone is going to be challenged. Or maybe it's taking a stand for Christ right where you live and work or go to school. And maybe there's a conversation that you've been backing out of because you haven't wanted to say something, but God's been prompting you to stand up for Christ and to live differently in this world. Those are the experiences that stretch us. And it's normal for us to have some fears or doubts or questions about that. But what God does then, what we see is that God comes to us and God reassures us with the promises of His Word that He will be with us and He will use us. And just like Jesus' statement here that all things are possible with God, God came to each of these individuals that He had called to do a great work And God gave them the promise of his presence. 
God said to Moses, you know, who is it that gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him, uh, the, who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you to speak, and I will teach you what to say. Moses, I will be with you. And God's promise was enough. God would say to Joshua before the people in Israel were about to enter into the promised land and to do battle there, he said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And the Lord Jesus, when he commanded the disciples and he commands us to go and to be part of the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations, said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's the God who is with us. He's the God who doesn't just call us to do something and say, well, go and I wish you well and I hope it goes well for you. God says, I will be with you. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians that it is God who makes us adequate. None of us feel adequate in ourselves to do the work of ministry that he is calling us to. It's God who makes us adequate. And it is his power that is made perfect in our weakness. In our weakness. Do you know who John Stott is? Great uh, leader, pastor, statesman. Uh, author, you know, he's just had such a significant influence on so many people through his writings and teaching. Well, John Stott once, early in his ministry, was called to go to Australia to speak to a group of students. And when he was there, he lost his voice. He goes, you know, what good is a missionary without a voice? You know, and they've got this packed auditorium of students that had come to hear him speak. And, you know, he met with the leaders beforehand. And he's asking them to pray, you know, that God will restore his voice or somehow work tonight in a way that would bring honor to himself. And he said, you know, that night I had to get within one inch of the microphone and I had to croak out this message you know no inflection it was just monotone he couldn't you know speak like he normally does and and he just barely got through that message and he said you know I, he had the opportunity to go back to australia 10 times after that and he said invariably on every time that he went back, somebody would come up to him and say things like, you know that night when you spoke at such and such place and you had to croak out that message? I came to Christ that night. I came to know Jesus that night through what you shared. And John Stott said it was one of those examples where in his weakness, God's power was made perfect. You know, when I think about that in, in ministry for me, one of the memories I have that I will never forget was the time uh, in Cusco, Peru, and teaching a group of pastors there. And Cusco is at 11,500 feet, and we went up from there to where the pastors were meeting. And, uh, you know, coming from the flatland here and going to high altitude, that was an adjustment. And you just kind of feel lousy. You know, you just, that, that thin uh, air and elevation, 
your heart's beating faster, your respiration's faster, you kind of have a fuzzy feeling in your brain and your headache. I actually asked them, you know, one time, I said, when you guys go down to, like, sea level, how do you feel? And they, they feel awful, too. They feel like the air is just so heavy, it's just oppressive. You know, they don't like that exchange either going the other way. But I'm there, and America and I are teaching this group of pastors that are there, and we had been doing it for a couple days, and then kind of in the middle of one of the talks. You know, America was trying to read their face too. Couldn't, couldn't really read. They seemed kind of expressionless and what was going on and in their hearts and minds. So America just stopped and he asked them, you know, are you guys, is this making sense? Are you getting it? I was teaching on discipleship, great commission, and God's call on our life. And, and um, you know, they began to answer him. And, and they were sharing that what was going on in their heart was just they felt conviction. And they felt conviction. And, and America asked them, well, what would you like to do? And they said, we'd like to pray. And they stood up, and their custom was they all prayed at the same time out loud. And, and they were there, and there were tears, and there was repentance, and there was prayer and entreaty, and it was the Holy Spirit filled that room. And it was one of those moments where I just, I just watched kind of in amazement at what God was doing as he came upon those men. And that's the group. You know, I had the opportunity to go back there a couple years later and teach again, and that's the group that started 100 churches in that area, in and around Cusco and that surrounding area as they went out. That was a God moment. You know, that in our weakness, he is made strong. And if we'll just make ourselves available and humble ourselves to him and say, here I am, Lord, use me, God can do amazing things. Because to be honest, you know, in, in ministry, there are times when you can feel like, you know, for example, for me, I can feel like, boy, you know, I shared that message today, that was clear, that was well-reasoned, that was thought out, you know, everything felt like it was good, you know, and you go away and there's nothing. And there are other times when you can feel like, you know, I just want to have a trap in the floor here and kind of just crawl out where you feel like, man, that just, I don't know if that accomplished anything today. And God uses it. And you just, you don't know. You don't know how God's going to use the things in our life. That's the humbling part about it. It is all the Lord. But here's the deal with this. We don't get to see what God will do until we step out in faith. You know, there's no guarantee on the front end like of all the things that God's going to do. You know, here's the opportunity. We need to trust Him. We need to step out in faith and then you see what God will do. It's not until you're engaged in it. It's not until you're doing the work that God's called us to do and being obedient to that. And so a decision must be made. And it's just like what happened when the Israelites were to cross the Jordan River to enter into the Promised Land. God gave the instructions. He had them sit there for three days. They were to consecrate themselves. And wouldn't you know, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, it is flood stage. I mean, it's, it's the time of year when the Jordan River overflows all its banks and it's just, you know, raging through there. And you think, God, after 40 years, couldn't you have picked the dry season for us to cross, you know, make it a little easier to get? No. It's this obstacle that needs to be crossed. And what does God say? 
have the priest carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water, and I will part the waters, and the Israelites will cross on dry ground. Those priests needed to be obedient, and they needed to get their feet wet before the waters parted. And for us, same thing. We need to get our feet wet, need to be obedient, say, okay, God, here I am. You know, we're going in, okay, there's no turning back. We're going in on this thing now, and God, I trust you to work. But you look at this story and this call to the rich young man, and what did the rich young man do? His face fell, and he went away sad because he had many possessions. He said no. I don't know what happened to him. We don't know. You know, did he ever regret that and come back to the Lord later in life? Or was that a decisive point where he walked away and he never had that opportunity again? I don't know. But in my years of ministry, I have seen that look on people's faces. I've shared the gospel with people and they've heard it and they have said no and they walked out the door because they didn't want to do what God asked. And I've seen it on the face of an old man at a funeral where a brother had died and he said to me, I heard God's call once and he didn't answer it. And he lived his life apart from God in just kind of a self-centered, decadent life. I've seen that face, that look of regret, and I don't want to see that. I want to see people who answer the call and who say yes to Jesus and who experience not only the joy of salvation, but the joy of being used when we give ourselves fully to him. And I look at the disciples. The disciples made the opposite decision. And you hear that in this story. When the disciples are talking with Jesus, in verse 28, Peter said to him, he said, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, I tell you the truth, that no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. In that day, in that final day, will come this great reversal, where those, you know, in this world who thought that Christians who followed Christ were fools, will come to understand that the very best way to live is to give everything to Jesus. And Jesus said, if you will do that, trust me. There's nobody who's going to outgive God. There's nobody who's going to sacrifice too much. But God will reward in his time, in his way, with all those things that ultimately we desire most. Our relationship with him. You can't outgive God. Well, I want to end today with a story of a family in our church that illustrates everything that we've been talking about. I'll go ahead and show the picture of Nathan and Christina Pino, and many of you know them, but if you don't know them and they're boys, I wanted to have this picture up. Um, I asked them if I could share this story today. They have been accepted with Reach Global to be uh, missionaries in the Evangelical Free Church, and they're going to go to Panama. 
Uh, I would have loved to have them share their story today, but they're actually at another church in southern Minnesota where they're telling their story as they are on this journey to raise the financial support they'll need for their ministry. Uh, in three weeks, they're going to share here, and we have the missions potluck that's coming up, and it'd be great for you to be there and uh, hear their story as well as here. But I, I asked them to answer a few questions. I said to Nathan and Christina, I said, how did God lead you on this journey where you're ending up wanting to go to Panama? And he said that, um, you know, it really wasn't a call to a specific country, but it was this recurring sense that God wanted us to go into missions, this tugging at our heart. And then as a process, as they got involved and they were pursuing that with the uh, Evangelical Free Church, you know, and looking at options, God directed toward Panama, a new field, great opportunity. They are both nurses. They'll be doing the medical side, and they're going with another young couple that have three boys the exact same ages as their boys, and they're the pastor and wife that'll be doing the church planting part, so it's a combination working together, and it's great to go as a team. And I said, do you have any fears about that? Any fears about going? And Christina said that her biggest fear was how her parents would react. And at the time that they answered this call, um, their parents were not Christians, and they couldn't grasp why they would do such a thing. I mean, why would you leave? Why would you, you know, move out of the country or do anything like this? And Christina said, the one thing I specifically prayed for was that God would help my mom. I knew it would be particularly difficult for her. And when we ask big things of God, he delivers. And God didn't just help her to be okay with us leaving the country. He saved her. Christina's mom came to know Christ as her Savior and Lord this year. And late in the summer, Pastor Jason actually baptized their whole family and baptized Christina's mom at a service at a lake up north. And it was just a beautiful moment. For Nathan, he said his fears were giving up his job after working so hard to obtain where he was at. It's giving up the security of owning your own home or you know, the life as you know it here, having a good income, being able to provide for your children and now to let all of that go and trust God to raise the financial support that you're going to need to be a missionary. It's hearing the comments of people who are baffled and think that what you're doing is really foolish. And yet God continues to lead them on this journey. I said, um, oh, and the third part he said also is just feeling not equipped. Sometimes we look at the need and we feel overwhelmed at the size of the job and the responsibility he's giving us. We feel ill-prepared and we're learning that in the moment he needs you, he also equips you. And they're continuing to work at those things. Why are you willing to go in spite of your fears? They both said, because God requires obedience. In fact, they describe the journey that they are on as one of going from excess of all the things that they had to obedience and doing what God wants us to do. The thought of not following his promptings took our peace away. And to not go would be in direct disobedience to what God had asked. We will love God, and we want to obey His commands above all, even sometimes, you know, uh, again, when it goes against the wishes of some of those that are closest to you. The life that we live is not for ourselves, but for Him. 
And how have you seen God work in your life since you made that decision? They just said, it's been amazing to see him every step of the way. Confirming our baby steps, saving souls. It wasn't just his, I mean, her mother. It was others that they've seen God work in their life and the opportunity to share this testimony and step out in faith. And uh, even in a humorous way, how they've seen God provide for them in the middle of nowhere. They have a story on their website right now where they were canoeing up in the Boundary Waters. And this older couple uh, came canoeing out, you know, kind of came up alongside of them and said, are you the missionaries? <laughs> it was a little bit out of the blue. And, and they said, well, yes, we are. And, and they said, well, we'd love to have you come to our church. And actually, I think that's the church that they're at this weekend that they're down visiting. And, you know, they're just praying God will open doors to be able to tell their story. And it is so cool what he's doing. You don't see that on the front end. You don't see that until you step out in faith and you make the decision and you trust God to work. And then the stories come. Then the answers to prayer come. And then you see the joy of what it means to follow Jesus. So what is God asking you to do? What is it that he wants you to do? To take a stand, to be involved, to give, to go, to serve, to pray, whatever it may be. What will your decision be? Let's pray. Father, lead us and guide us. And may we be willing servants. Like Paul who said, I am a bondservant of the Lord and everything that he did was for you and for your honor and glory. Lord, would you lead us too? And maybe you're here today and you've never made that initial commitment to Christ and you want to know him like the disciples did. And like those here who have come to know Christ, would you just open your heart to him and say, Jesus, would you forgive my sins? Come into my life and be my Savior, O Lord. And would you lead me on this journey as well? I want to know you better. Father, we pray that in your name. Amen.